The grievance study gang has struck again. These, you may remember, are the impish liberal academics who decided to submit articles filled with absurd leftist nonsense to academic journals to see if the journals could tell the difference between fake articles filled with absurd leftist nonsense and the real articles filled with absurd leftist nonsense they usually publish. And no, they couldn't. The academic journals accepted articles on subjects like dog rape culture, fat bodybuilding, and whether it's okay to put white male students in chains to help them overcome their sense of comfort. I am not making this up. But in what is perhaps their masterpiece, prankster academics James Lindsay, Peter Bogosian, and Helen Pluckrose submitted a rewritten section of Adolf Hitler's psychopathic screed Mein Kampf to one of the top feminist journals in the country, Ophelia, and Ophelia accepted it. Ophelia editor Shrieky Virago defended her decision to run Hitler's piece, saying, quote, You know, it seems we got this Hitler fellow all wrong. When conservatives demanded liberty for all and limits on government power, we used to call them Hitler because we thought that's what Hitler believed. But it turns out Hitler wasn't such a bad fellow after all, and he wanted to use victim ideology to oppress people just like we do. In fact, we would invite Mr. Hitler to speak at our next feminist conference if it weren't for the fact he's a dead white male, which could prejudice some feminists against his otherwise palatable views. So, I guess some other feminists will have to stand in for Hitler, pounding the podium and screaming hate-filled inanities, which will at least prove that a woman can do that just as well as any man." Unquote. And okay, I did make that quote up, but the rest of the story is totally true. And while you might think accepting an article by Hitler would give the girls at Ophelia second thoughts about their own philosophy, not at all. To do that would be to accept anti-feminist values, like reason and decency. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, tipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hooray, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray, oh, hooray, hurrah. All right, we're back. We hardly left. It was a non-Clavenless weekend. It was a Clavenless less weekend or less Clavenless. I don't know. We, we all, all those things were out there. We had another Kingdom season two uh, debuted for everybody. You can now everybody can get the first two episodes of season two and the next chapter of Another Kingdom, performed by the lovely and talented Michael Knowles, will come out today for subscribers. You get exclusive access to episode three. It's entitled The Beast. If you're not a subscriber, you won't be able to watch new episodes of season two until Friday. So what are you waiting for? It is time to subscribe. Go to dailywire.com and subscribe to watch the first and second seasons of Another Kingdom. It really is good. The Gosnell movie did pretty well. It was certainly the top independent picture in the country. I'm not sure whether it's come in in the top 10, but 11, 12, something like that, but certainly the top independent picture. Uh, and audiences were giving it good reaction. It was funny to see it getting an audience reaction on Rotten Tomatoes of 100% compared to my critical uh, response to One Miss Call, which is still at 0%. So... <laughs> A little, I, 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 you know, I swing back and forth a lot. I'm you know, bipolar. Uh, all right. Now we have to talk about hair club. And many of you have said to me, you know, you don't think I'm the best representative of hair club. But think of me like the severed head that's stuck on a pike that warns you not to come into the village or this will happen to you. This don't let this happen to you. Go to hair club, because whether you're looking to revitalize the crew, 
growth of your own hair or to learn more about the latest proven methods for hair replacement or restoration, Hair Club's professionally trained stylists, hair health experts, and consultants will craft a personalized solution to ensure you feel your best and get the most out of your hair. See for yourself just how powerful great hair can be. You know, not a lot of people know this, but Knowles and I are the same age. The only difference between the way we look is that he kept his hair. So go to hairclub.com slash Clavin today for a free hair analysis and a free take-home hair kit, all valued over $300. That's hairclub.com slash Clavin for a free hair analysis and free hair care kit. Experience your hair and your life at its best only with Hair Club. I'm certain you'll love the club. Just call him up and say to him, how do you spell Clavin? It's K-L-A-V-A-N. Get your hair now. Don't let this happen to you. Get your hair now. <laughs> All right. Well, before we start talking about the news, we have to talk about the non-news, which is Elizabeth Warren has announced she is actually less Indian than everybody else in America. I mean, I went to 23andMe and had my DNA done, and I think I have more. Uh, you know, I have, I think it was uh, Chaim, the uh, the Ch- Chappaqua, the Tripaqua, whatever it was that, that I'm related to. But Elizabeth Warren is, ta- you know, Trump challenged her to test her DNA, said he'd give a million dollars to charity if she tested her DNA and proved that she was actually an Indian as she has pretended to be. And she <laughs> got this thing. I don't, I don't know. What was it? It was like one. It, it was zero percent. The, the test says she was zero percent to one point six percent American Indian, which I think most Americans are one point eight percent or something like that. American Indian. So she has proved. I, I now want her to go by her native name, walks like a duck, because <laughs> because if it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it probably is a duck. And she's white. <laughs> It's like, hey, nothing wrong with being white. I like white people. Some of my best friends are white people. You know, Elizabeth, take it easy. You know, it's fine. The other thing is, of course, is the violence. The violence over the weekend from the left, mostly from the left, has been just, it just continues and it's getting worse and it's getting uglier and they're threatening to do worse. On Friday, uh, the Metropolitan Republican Club in Manhattan was attacked. It, It houses the Manhattan Republican Party and the New York City Regional Office of the New York Republican Party. It was vandalized including broken windows, spray-painted anarchist symbols. And the criminal group that did the damage left a note. They were angry that Gavin McGinnis was going to talk. If, that's your worst, if Gavin McGinnis is your worst nightmare, you know, you know like you're, you're not, you have nothing to be afraid of. They left a note. Our attack is merely a beginning. We are not passive. We are not civil. And we will not apologize. Those of good conscience and clear mind know this state of oppression cannot remain. I know you're all feeling very oppressed out there. The U.S. fascist political system is one of the most savage institutions in history, and we will combat it relentlessly until all are free of American barbarism. These guys have windows in their apartment. Can they look outside and see that like everything's going great? Is, is that a problem? For Here's a, Demo- a montage of all the Democrat politicians denouncing the attack. Yeah, that was it. That was the whole montage. So, yeah, you're not hearing it, you know, because this is the problem. But but then in Portland, there was more violence. You know, the the Antifa people, you know, I want to get go back and uh, and get one of our great, maybe Cynthia, one of our great uh, artists back there to do a cartoon for me of a guy in a black mask with a label Antifa on his shirt, and then a guy in a white hood with anti-claw on his shirt. Because, you know, just because you say you're anti-something doesn't mean you're not the thing. So there's fascists who call themselves anti-fascists are out in the streets of Portland, you know, terrorizing people, yelling at people, yelling racist things at white people. So the Patriot Prayer Rally was holding a prayer, patriotic prayer rally. Now, 
let's let's be fair here. They had clubs too. Normally when I pray, I leave my club at home. I mean, just just saying, you know, I don't bring my club to my, you know, it's like you say, don't bring a knife to a gunfight. I don't usually bring my club to a prayer meeting. So they were looking for trouble too. But it really does look from the videos, you can just play the videos in the background uh, so people can see. It really does look from the videos that the uh, Antifa, people started it by pepper spraying some of the some of the prayer patriot people, uh, they set a, a flag on fire. Uh, they set a flag on fire, which was rescued. Uh, but then it just became, after the, after the pepper spray was sprayed, it just became a genuine, genuine uh, Donnybrook with people punching the, each other's lights out. This is what's happening. And of course, the problem is, the problem is not the thugs on the street. There aren't enough of them to really cause problems. The problem is the leadership of the Democratic Party not denouncing the thugs because they're afraid of losing their support. Everybody makes fun of Donald Trump when he was asked to denounce the Klan, and he didn't denounce the Klan because he was afraid of losing votes. That was wrong. Trump was wrong to do that. Now the Democrats have fallen in line, and they are not denouncing these people, and it is just disgusting. And the problem they have, the problem that they have is the Democrat Party has drifted left. The Democrat Party has drifted left and leftism is inherently violent. Remember, the debate between the left and right is not an equal debate. It is not one person saying we want this, this and this in a free America and the other people saying we want this, this and that in a free America. One side is saying we want a free America with different opinions. People can speak. People can talk about it. Uh, debate things, compromise, go forward. That's the right. On the left, they want to force you to do what they want you to do. And so of the, that's the first reason the left is inherently violent. The left is inherently violent because it wants the power to force you to do and think and say what it wants you to do, think and say. And, you, and if you have government, if you're in the government, if you're in the government, you don't have to take to the streets with clubs if you're in the government because you have the police force, you have the force of government. Nobody talks about the fact, I talk about it, but not that many people talk about the fact that when you pay taxes, you are paying on threat of violence. You are paying so that the police do not show up with their guns and take you away because you cannot fight the violence of the state. The state has a, has a monopoly on true violence and can take you away if you don't pay your taxes. When they're out of government, they have to do it through terror and they do it by taking to the streets. And if you don't think, if you don't think the establishment left is in on this, listen to Bernie Sanders when he is talking to Jake Tapper and Jake Tapper asks him about whether or not he's going to denounce this violence. This is cut number eight. Now, Jake, I don't think it's a question of going high or going low. I think it's a question of telling the truth. And the truth is that you have a president who lies all of the time, a pathological liar. I don't think that's what the American people want. You have a Republican leadership in the House and the Senate that tried, came within one vote of throwing 32 million people off of the health insurance they currently have. You have leadership there in the House and the Senate that wants to do away with the pre-existing protections that people have in this country so they can get health insurance when you have cancer or heart disease. You have leadership in the House and Senate led by the president that provided massive tax breaks for the wealthiest people in this country over a 10-year period. 83% of the benefits go to the top 1%. You have a president and Republican leadership who supported a budget, supported a budget which would have cut Medicaid by a trillion dollars, devastating Mm -hmm. for the elderly people. Now, 
take out the emotions, take out all the emotional language about devastating for the American people and cancer and all take out all of that. What he's talking about is taking your money. He's not talking. Remember, they don't have any money. The government doesn't have any money. They just take your money that you earn. You go out and you earn money to support your health care, to pay for your health care. You go out and earn money to pay for the things that you want. Bernie Sanders thinks he should be allowed to spend that money. They always talk about it. And you can hear uh, Casio, Google Eyes, Cortez doing the same thing, talking about it's, it'll save America money. It won't save you money. It's not America's money. It's your money. You earned it. You worked for it. That's not greed. It is not greed to want the things you work for. It is greed to take them away, to spend them on other things, hoping that it will buy uh, your votes. And by the way, they're always talking about the middle class. Remember, under socialism, the middle class disappears and all you have are the poor and the rich. Why? Because you can't tax the rich because they are the ones who create all the wealth. So you cannot tax them. So they get away scot-free. You can't tax the poor because they don't have any money. You wind up ta- taxing the people. You wind up calling people rich if they make more money than most people. But that's really the middle class. You destroy the middle class. So that's why there is no middle class under socialism. Only the very poor and the very rich go up to San Francisco, take a look, and you'll see what it's like up there. So that's number one. The reason they need violence is because they want to force you to do things. And violence is how you force people to do them, things that they don't want to do. Number two, they have been hiding in safe spaces. They own every means of communication in America, except the ones that we have taken back as this kind of like little revolutionary force popping up from behind rocks. We have a voice now on the internet we didn't have. We have a voice on podcasts. We have Fox News. But mostly they own all of the means of communication, including the Academy, Hollywood, and the news business. And so they never have to debate. They never have to debate. In the New York Post, Carol Markowitz writes, she says, what's behind the recent spread of outraged mobs on U.S. streets, wild-eyed and throwing violent fits because their favored political outcome didn't happen? How did so many Americans give up on resolving disagreements through discussion and turn the fact that a disagreement exists into an excuse for a tantrum? campuses started setting up safe spaces well before 2015 when the news hit our media. College students were literally taking shelter from the possibility of hearing opinions they might disagree with. And this comes from a news media, an academy, Hollywood, defining the left as the antidote to hatred. Not as the left is one side and the right is another, two people having a negotiation, because they lose that argument. They lose the argument. The argument is, do you want us to force everyone to believe what we believe, or do you want them to be free? Everybody would say, we want you to be free. Ah, but if they say yes, but on that freedom, ah, that freedom just a, it's a dog whistle for racism. It's a dog whistle for sexism, for anti-homosexual sexual hate, for anti-Islamic hate. That's the way they debate. So if, if there's just them and hatred, you are justified in being violent. And the biggest safe space, the media, the, the biggest safe space the left has is the media. And it is the media that contributes to this violence by taking one side. I have got a play this this cut of Stephanie Rule and obviously she's a biased reporter and biased commentator that's fine there's nothing wrong with it but listen to her absolute wonder and dismay at the fact that this Kavanaugh confirmation a confirmation in which the left demanded that due process be put aside, that the presumption of innocence be put aside, that violence against senators screaming at them, tormenting them, chasing them out of restaurants, cornering them in elevators, that that was okay, that that didn't play well with the American people. She's shocked. She's absolutely stunned. Listen to her. 
There was so much talk, or there is so much talk about the blue wave. When we all went through the Kavanaugh experience in the last few weeks, many people said this is going to drive more Democrats to go out and vote. But if you actually look at the polls, they've tightened. They've tightened. This Kavanaugh situation has hurt Democrats in the way that they handled it. We knew that Democrats were excited to vote before. We know through the Kavanaugh confirmation, now a lot more Republicans are excited to vote. One of the things Democrats have been pushing uh, is they're sort of the moral leaders, and they have been pointing the finger at Republicans. And something sort of got <sighs> muzzled in the last few weeks, that when you sit down with, with even a centrist and you talk about the Kavanaugh confirmation, whether it's my feelings or not, they're quickly saying... It's not just dirty politics on one side and Merrick Garland on one side, the way Mitch McConnell handled it. More and more people are saying they don't like the way Democrats handled it. She's shocked even when you say this is centrist. They don't like riots and violence and intimidation and getting rid of due process. I love the fact that she says we keep telling them that we're the moral voice and yet they turn away. What could possibly be wrong if she were not in her safe space, if she ever got out of her offices, which I'm sure are in New York, if she ever went out and talked to people, just spent spend some time with them, she would find that Americans, so help me, have a much, much more nuanced, intelligent, insightful view of what's going on than anybody on television, anybody, anybody on cable news. They are much more black and white than most of the people you meet out in the country. They'll tell you that Trump does things they don't like. They'll tell you all of that stuff. But of course, rioting doesn't play, but she doesn't know it. There was a wonderful exchange on 60 Minutes. Trump was on with Leslie Stahl where he starts to talk about the media. Listen to Leslie Stahl. She does not want to hear it. And he finally just shuts her down. It's really funny. Cut number four. The other thing I've really learned is I never knew how dishonest the media was. I, I, I really mean it. I'm not saying that as a soundbite. I never I, I can, knew how I'm, dishonest. I'm going to change the subject again. Well, no, but even the way you asked me a question, like about separation. Yeah. When I say Obama did it, you don't want to talk about no, it. No. When I say I did your, it, let's make a big deal. I'm going to run your answer, but you did it four times. I'm so. just telling you that you treated me much differently on the subject. I disagree, but I don't want to have that fight with you. Hey, All it's right, okay. have another fight with Leslie, you. Leslie, okay. it's okay. In the meantime, right. I'm president We're and you're not. <laughs> I'm president and you're not. And that, of course, of course, is what is driving them insane, that nobody is paying attention to them. This Kavanaugh thing, how hard did they sell this Kavanaugh thing, that this was an injustice to all women, to 50% of the country was an injustice, had nothing to do with all women. It had to do with one man being accused of one thing by one person with no corroborating evidence. That's what the story was about. But they didn't report that story. They reported the story about women, W-O-M-Y-N. You know, it's, it's everybody. Everybody represents everybody because it's groupthink and they can't believe people didn't buy it. And meanwhile, Trump's popularity has taken an uptick. All right. So that's two reasons that violent is inherent to the left. One is leftism is by philosophy, by and it is essentially force. Leftism is force. And if you don't have the force of the government, which disguises the force by diffusing it into all the power that government has, if you don't have that force, then you got to use it with a stick and a mask on the streets and vandalism and attacking people and pepper spray. It's the same force, but it's just concentrated because you do not have it diffused into the government. And the second thing is that they are not used to debating because they've taken over the means of communication so they don't have to debate. So they've convinced themselves that this is a moral holy war and they're on one side and we're on the other, which simply isn't true. And the third thing, and maybe the worst of it, is they are racist. 
leftism is racist. That does not mean that there are no racists on the right. I've said this repeatedly. Of course, there are racists everywhere. There are people who look at the world in this simplistic way. If they get mugged by a black guy, all black guys are criminals. If they don't like what a white woman does, all white women are bad. But, the, but leftism is racism because it is based on setting interest groups up against each other. It is not based on the melting pot is not based on bringing us together. That was the other thing that Leslie Stahl talked about. I just, I just have to play this cut because it actually exemplifies what Trump was saying. It's cut number one. She says, she talks about a divided country as if it weren't Obama. And he tells her it was, she will not listen. Listen to this. I think that what's going to happen, I think the economy is bringing people together. It was very polarized under President Obama, unbelievably polarized under President Obama. I can see the country uniting. I can't see it. We have people, Democrats, who behaved horribly during the Judge Kavanaugh. You, you, you know what I'm saying. But when you during the that- hearings for the Supreme Court, we had senators that behaved horribly. But when you won, you won. No, no one is going to argue with that. I won. You won. And I won. then after you won, instead of saying, oh, let's all come together. This is wonderful. Let's heal all of this. You come out and bash the Democrats. Well, I bashed their attitude. I bashed their but statements. But why not try to bring us together? Because they were so unfair to Judge Kavanaugh. But I've never not, seen anything like why it. Why not try to? We need to be healed. We need. I don't think they want to heal yet. I'll be honest. Well, you don't want to heal yet. I, I saw Hillary Clinton made a really nasty statement. I don't think they want to be healed. I do want to heal. I'm not, I'm not talking about Democrats. I'm talking about the country. <laughs> the thing is, the thing is, when Obama was in office, nobody ever talked about the fact that he was dividing the country. Nobody in the mainstream media ever talked about it. And he ripped the country in half. Obama did that. I talked to liberals. I try to explain to them what he looked like to us, what he sounded like to us. They cannot hear it because they look at everything according to race, because they look at everything according to race, because that is the way to divide the country. Listen to some more of the note that was left on the vandalized Republican headquarters in New York. The U.S. government has established concentration camps around the country for Latino people. In what world? In what world? You know, people breaking the law are being punished and detained for breaking the law. They have shamelessly murdered black people. On what planet? When it, where is this happening? It's happening all in their imagination. It continues. The U.S. Con government continues its war machine that has slaughtered Muslim people with impunity for decades. That's what every president does. That's what every soldier in America does. They wake up and say, let me kill some Muslim people. It's like there's a, there's a war going on. A, a terrorist faction of the Muslim world, a huge terrorist faction of the Muslim world has been trying to establish a caliphate in the Middle East. We have been fighting them. The so-called land of the free leads the world in incarceration rates per capita because of the high crime. Anyway, they look at everything in terms of race, so they're angry. Racism leads to violence. Racism is hatred. The latest one they have is white women. Here's Michelle Bernard at MSNBC on why white women just won't vote the way she wants them to. Uh, Rebecca Traster, I believe, um, has a new book out. And one of the things that she talks about as a white woman is that uh, the belief that white women have always gained power through the proximal um, 
the, the proximity that they have to white males, to their husbands, and they vote in the same way that their husbands do because it always and somehow favors them and helps that, them politically that, I'll just despite tell you what's happening that, in the country. And I, I, I just want to finish my statement. I want to finish my statement. I'd like to finish my statement. And the statement that I am making is... I would like to finish my statement. And the statement that I am making is I do not see any reason for Democrats to believe that after the Brett Kavanaugh hearings, we are going to see a flood of white women, particularly Republican, red state feminists, come out and vote for Democrats. God, flood of white women. I can't, I can't even, I had, a, I had a dream like that once. It was like, it's embarrassing. I don't want to talk about it. But you know, Kyle Smith writing at National Review talks about how white women has become a disparaging term. Uh, and he quotes the New York Times, white women benefit from patriarchy by trading on their whiteness to monopolize resources for mutual gain. From the New Yorker, despite the enduring legacy of testimony by black women, white women have often played the protagonists in the history of sexual violence and black women have been relegated to the supporting cast. And at NBC News, white women who voted for Trump clearly have no issue with the president's openly misogynistic behavior as demeaning of female reporters and as mocking of Christine Blasey Ford. So white women, you are the latest, you know, let me let me end this. I, I, let me sh- sh- put it to you this way: A, a woman uh, won the Nobel Prize for she was a Yazidi woman. Um, let me make sure. I, Nadia Murad, Nadia Murad won the Nobel Prize along with uh, Dennis Mukwege for f- fighting against sexual violence during wartime. This has been sexual violence in wartime is it's a very hard thing to deal with because it may be inherent to war for men to then rape and rape may be inherent to war. They don't know how to deal with it. it is, it's just when people are reduced to the level that war reduces people to when you're in the midst of this violence, uh, rape, rape occurs, you know, rape ha- happens. And it's, it's a terrible, terrible thing. But the thing is, the Yazidis were purposely targeted for extinction by ISIS. And one of the ways they targeted them was by taking the women, selling them into slavery, making sure they got pregnant with ISIS men, with ISIS children. And Nadia Murad is a victim of this, but also has won the Nobel Prize. How many people knew that? How many people listening to this knew that? How many people who listened to the mainstream media knew that Nadia Murad, because they're racist. The left is racist. They don't want to say, it's, it's the only time when violence against women matters is when they can use it to get power. That's the only time it matters. Listen, I, I want to play George Clooney's wife, Amal Clooney, who was uh, talking at the UN about, about Nadia Murad. And the reason I'm playing her is not because she's a celebrity, it's because she speaks English and Nadia Murad doesn't. And so I, I know a lot of people are just listening to this so you can understand what she's saying. Listen to what happened, what ISIS did to Nadia Murad and thousands of Yazidi women. Nadia was one of 6,700 Yazidis taken by ISIS two summers ago to be sold in markets and on Facebook, sometimes for as little as $20. Nadia's mother was one of 80 older women who were executed and buried in an unmarked grave. Her brothers, part of a group of 600 who were murdered in a single day. Make no mistake, what Nadia has told us about is genocide. And genocide doesn't happen by accident. You have to plan it. Before the genocide began two years ago, the ISIS Research and Fatwa Department studied the Yazidis and concluded that, as a Kurdish-speaking group that did not have a holy book, 
They were non-believers whose enslavement was a, quote, firmly established aspect of the Sharia. Firmly established aspect of the Sharia. Know who got rid of ISIS? Yeah, Donald Trump. How about giving him a Nobel Prize? That would be interesting. That would, that would make them, But of course, none of this stuff, as I've said before, none of this is about what it's about. It's always about the power. It goes back to the power. It goes back to the force. And that's why the left is violent. When, when I say that, you know, I wouldn't pick on the left if there were just a riot in Portland, some bad guys in Portland. That's happened before. What is new, what is new is the silence of the Democrats, the silence of the Democrats as this stuff is going on, because it's who they are. It's who they have drifted to the left, and that left-wing philosophy is inherently violent. It is inherently an act of force. Socialism is an act of force. Everything except freedom is an act of force, right? Under capitalism, you make something, I want to buy it, I freely give you my money, you freely give me what you made. That is freedom. That's not, not force. It is force when you have to take money away from people that they earned and give it to others. That is the core essential philosophy of leftism. It is inherently violent. And now, because they haven't got the, the uh, handles of power, thank God, that violence is taking to the streets. And let's play that montage of left-wing Democrat uh, politicians denouncing it once again. Let's play the whole thing this time. Yeah, there it is. That was it. So, you know, it is inherent in their philosophy. We have the lovely and talented star of Another Kingdom is coming up. Michael Knowles is going to talk to us about the also uh, lovely and talented uh, <laughs> Peter Ginsburg. I almost said that with a straight face. I uh, hope you're listening to Another Kingdom. It is great. The new episodes come out for subscribers today. So you want to subscribe and get those new episodes right away. Allows you 10 bucks a month, allows you 100 bucks for the year. You can also get the Leftist Tears Tumblr for that, so you can drink your Leftist Tears while listening to Another Kingdom. If not, wait until Friday. You will get the next episode. You can hear it on iTunes and SoundCloud and wherever you listen to such things. And subscribe, and please, please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. It really, really helps us. All right, Michael Knowles, coming up right after the break. Knowles. You're there. <laughs> hey, can I hear you? Can you hear me? Now I can, yes. Can I you can. hear me now? Can you hear me now? I might. I think I lost my voice after shouting at my television last night for what you made me do. But that's I was, neither I, here nor even there. Even I felt slightly guilty about this. And, and especially you've done such a good job on Another Kingdom that I like. I have to actually, my, my, you know, somebody wrote me over the weekend. This is true. They, they threatened to stop listening to Ben because he's so mean to you. <laughs> And I, I, I said, I, and I said, Ben, you, you know, you, behind the scenes and in secret, we don't like to reveal this too often. But Ben has been incredibly generous and, and nice to you. Oh yeah, the uh, other day he was eating a sandwich, and, and a pickle felt like a little yeah. slice of pickle fell off of it, and it hit the floor, and then he picked it up and offered it to me <laughs> because I didn't, I didn't because have lunch. I think the fact that when you went and grabbed it, he didn't kick you. I think yeah. that that's you know, I mean, <laughs> that's, that's right. <laughs> but but anyway, she was threatening to stop listening to Ben, and I told her that you were just just boys roughhouse. We're just boys. <laughs> We're just playing. It's okay, but, Mom. But, but now, now with your tremendous performance on Another Kingdom, we have all lifted our respect to you to a little bit of respect. I really appreciate it. I really liked you sent out a tweet over the weekend. You said you have to tweet out this episode of Another Kingdom to prove that Michael Knowles is possibly good at one thing. 
<laughs> you know, it's been so much fun to do. The story has been a lot of fun. I was, uh, I, you know, I hadn't seen it. I, I had only, we just shot it and then I, you know, we, I leave. And so I finally got to see it. The artwork is unbelievable. It, it's, it, it really is nice. And even my wife said nice things about you. I, wow. I know, that, yeah, I know. And you were you were over the house over the weekend. She, you know, so she was not in a good mood. I know. <laughs> she, she, she just, she forced it. I was very nice. I did appreciate you getting me hammered before my early morning Fox and Friends hit. <laughs> I wanted you to go directly from my house to the studio. <laughs> just go straight you actually there. went home and got an hour of sleep. I was, I, I, was uh, I was mostly speaking in cursive on Fox. But. <laughs> so to get you back, I sent you to watch the the documentary of, of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And it was great, right? Would Good you minute. call it a documentary? Is that a, <laughs> I would say that Triumph of the Will offers a more critical analysis of the Reich Party Congress <laughs> than RBG does of Justice Ginsburg. <laughs> it's not, not entirely fair, you're saying. Hagiography, I mean, I really mean this. It does not begin to describe what this was. I am not exaggerating. I am not making a joke. It I've never seen a hagiography like this. It, uh, it, it begins, so it's produced by CNN, which is the best part of it all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it's CNN films, real news, real bananas. <laughs> and it opens up, it, it, bizarrely, it opens up on the Red Scare. So it's Ruth Ginsburg. She's talking about how awful things used to be in the 50s. You think she would talk about racial segregation yeah. or women not you know, being able to work in certain industries. No, she talks about the Red Scare, which tells you a lot about the point of view of this movie and the point of view of Ruth Ginsburg. Uh, who, you know, the movie's produced by radical leftists, and Ruth Ginsburg is a radical leftist. She is, isn't she? She really is that far over. Her yeah. whole career, you know, they yeah. try to present her as a moderate. Uh, who finds her her left-wing voice later on. That's not what happened. She was a moderate because the court was very left-wing. And then as George Bush appointed two <laughs> originalists to the court, not even, real one and a half originalists to the court, <laughs> the court moved uh, to the to the right. Uh, but, you know, her whole career was left-wing. I mean, she, she uh, began her career as an activist during her Senate confirmation hearings. She said, not just that I support the Roe v. Wade decision. She said, I support abortion rights. She uh, calls for abortion. She obviously imagines... She said this before her confirmation? That during her confirmation During her confirmation hearings, confirmation yeah. hearings. okay, yeah. Uh, she said, I support abortion. In order for women to be equal, abortion needs to be legal. It needs to be everywhere. So she's, she's being confirmed to the court as an activist. And, and did Republicans vote for her? Of course they did. Republicans yeah. voted to confirm her. I think it was 96 to 3. Uh, and the movie uh, makes a point about this. Yeah. The movie says, uh, they actually have Bill Clinton, of all people, who nominated her say this. Say, well, you know, look, it was a less partisan time, but it was still pretty partisan. Yes, it was partisan when it was conservative justices who were being nominated. So they make they, their point is that she was so wonderful that even the right had to vote for her, which is really what the real point is, is the right plays fair that's right. and the left doesn't. Yeah, that's, that's right. right. You yeah. know, you'd have people like John McCain. I actually I sort of admire this by, about McCain. He would vote for any judge. Any yeah. judge who goes up, he says the president has the right to appoint the judges. Right. Might not like them, but uh, the, but the left doesn't doesn't abide that by right. that rule. So you know, Ginsburg comes out in 1993. This is two years after Clarence Thomas. Two years after a high tech lynching. They also try to m imply in the movie that Ruth Ginsburg was 
you know, the, the uh, pioneer in women on the Supreme Court. She wasn't the first woman on the Supreme Court. The yeah. first woman was appointed by Ronald Reagan. I know they make a big fuss <laughs> over the fact she's a woman, right? Reagan appointed Sandra Day O'Connor. That's I know. right. That's insane. They, you know, yeah, go ahead. They virtually ignore Sandra Day O'Connor. I like to virtually ignore Sandra Day O'Connor, too, because <laughs> she moved to the left. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, in, in they virtually ignore her. They try to make Ginsburg the trailblazer. And it, it's there's such fiction. It's such a stretch. They're trying to say she is a cult cultural icon. They, they call her the notorious RBG. That's from one blog that like some people who read everyday feminism seriously <laughs> use the term. Uh, these are direct quotes. Every time RBG wrote a dissent, the internet would explode. <laughs> I remember that. I remember, remember? I, I had to pick up the pieces, had to call the, yeah, they were sweeping the internet pieces, <laughs> shards off the floor. Yeah. I mean, just as a very basic matter, the woman doesn't trend on Twitter. The internet does not explode over her. They're just crafting this narrative. They say, she's become a rock star. She... <laughs> <laughs> the only time that she really went viral on the internet is when she fell asleep during the State of the Union. <laughs> True. You know, do they even know what the word notorious means? You know? <laughs> That's true. It's not a good thing, you know. Yeah, I, think they're, I think they're owning it these days. Yeah. They have this video of her working out. They, yes, they, they, I saw that. So she's yeah. working out, and they have this young fit instructor, and he says, oh, she's like a cyborg. She's like a machine. <laughs> See, she does 20 push-ups a day. They talk, But then they film the push-up. She lowers her body, you know, a half an inch. I'm not saying, look, she's an older woman. She's, she a, she's 112 years old. She's yeah, 112 yeah. years old. Yeah. But, and then they say, oh, and they're real push-ups. She's doing, she's not, she's not doing, she's barely moving her body, holding these weights that are two pounds. I, I like know. when, I like when they put her, they have a picture of her doing a plank. And my first thought is, how long has she been in that position? Because if it's over six months, <laughs> <laughs> you might want to, you might want to bury her. <laughs> where does, where does core strength end and rigor mortis begin? <laughs> you know, and the, the other thing is during these court hearings, they, they say that Kavanaugh exposed himself as too partisan. Oh, He's yeah. too partisan. This woman has been openly partisan for her entire career. Pre-confirmation, post-confirmation, Bush v. Gore. She was one of just two justices who voted uh, not to stop the recount. Wow. You really? know, everybody thinks yeah. Bush v. Gore was a 5-4 decision. Ultimately, uh, the, the decision that ended the question of the presidential election was 5-4. The decision to stop the recount was 7-2. It wasn't even close. And she was in those that two minority. She's been on the radical side of countless cases. But then in the 2016 election, she called Donald Trump a faker. She said she would move to New Zealand if he were That's elected. That's right. That's right. I she, remember that. Sure. She was out and out campaigning yeah. for Hillary Clinton, campaigning against Donald Trump. And she's he, not going to recuse herself from any uh, decisions that have to do with him. Of course not. But you never hear that she's too partisan, do you? They, they want to have it both ways. They can't pick a lane. So they say she's too partisan. Partisan, but we love her because she's too. Or she's not too partisan. We love her because she's too partisan. And uh, but Brett Kavanaugh has to uh, withdraw himself. So now this raises the question, though. All of this stuff is suddenly coming up. Obviously, she is uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is coming to the end of her term uh, here on Earth. I so mean, they say. Yes, no one, no one lives forever, and so not. I wish her well. I'm not wishing ill on her, but I'm just saying at some point uh, things come. The curtain comes down. Why is all of this stuff coming up now? What is the argument? What is the secret? Everything that the left does always has the secret argument about why they should have power. What is the secret argument behind a, a hagiography of Ruth Bader Ginsburg? Well, they're they're creating this fiction that uh, 
a justice should be replaced by someone who is exactly like them. This is, and some Republicans yeah. have even bought into this. So now I don't remember this when Merrick Garland was put up for the really, court, by the way. Really? When does this, who, what right winger in his right mind would buy it's, into that? Of course, it's absurd, but they're, they're passing it off as true. They're making their movies. And so, and we have to forget history as recent as two years ago. We have to forget about Garland going up to replace Scalia, but they're trying to set this up so that if you thought this Kavanaugh fight was bad, just wait until Amy Coney Barrett is up to replace Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, they're, they're trying to set that up. They're also trying to use the possible vacancy on, for the Democrats the way that Republicans used it in 2016. Mm-hmm. President Trump may have won because Antonin Scalia died when he did mm-hmm. and because Cocaine Mitch behaved the way he did, postponing that, that uh, filling that seat. I wonder if this new thing about white women is aimed at Amy Barrett, too. I mean, uh, I mean, I only support Amy Barrett because she's just so hot. I mean, that's like, <laughs> <laughs> and Catholic. And <laughs> Catholic, too. I know. I know, those Catholic my girls, my, my goodness, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's right. And, but the question you've got to ask is, look, I don't like Sandra Day O'Connor, but where's the Sandra Day O'Connor movie? Right. Or where's the Antonin Scalia movie? Or where's the Clarence Thomas movie? They make movies about Clarence Thomas, but they're about Anita Hill. Why, why is that? What, that's on us, right? I mean, we're not making those movies. Yes and no. Look, this movie is very stupid. Uh, <laughs> se- I mean, several minutes of it are just Ginsburg watching clips of Saturday Night Live uh, praising her and her giggling at them. Then you have clips of her granddaughter talking about Booby, you know, cooking in the kitchen for like, a significant portion of this movie. Yeah. So part of it is, I think the right is not as easily ma- emotionally manipulated. We're not as, you know, this is sentimental propaganda tripe. And I think we're not really moved by that. We don't really require that to motivate us. But still, people remember the movies. These movies <laughs> have really lasting effects. Yeah. JFK yeah. has lasting effects, right? So uh, I, it, I think it would behoove us to do it also because, uh, conserv- as, as you've been saying now for decades, <laughs> yeah conservatives will not spend money on the arts. No, they, they just don't get it. They, they're always, there's always an emergency. They're always a fire they're rushing to put out. What are you talking about on your show today? Today, we're going to talk about the, the breaking news today. Elizabeth Warren finally admitting that she's 99.9% right. Uh, we will be analyzing. We'll obviously be guzzling a lot of these tears uh, because uh, she might be trying to raise heap big wampum on this, but she's not. Not a heap big percentage Native American. <laughs> she, you know, you have you have uh, tormented her people long enough, Knowles. It's like a, the arrows will fly. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh no, she got me. <laughs> right. I can't wait. Thanks a lot, Michael. I appreciate it. All right, see you. Right. You know, before we get to our crappy culture, I have to just point out this this whole thing about Me Too is actually like a a backup of stuff that has been stuffed down because of the need to defend Bill Clinton and his errant wife and their silencing of women, their silencing of women who accused him of rape. And there was a cut of Hillary Clinton being asked about whether Bill should have resigned. It's cut number 11. Just play this for a minute. In retrospect, do you think Bill should have resigned in the wake of the Monica Lewinsky scandal? Absolutely not. It wasn't an abuse of power? No. No. There are people who look at the incidents of the 90s and they say a president of the United States cannot have a consensual relationship with an intern. The power imbalance is too great. Who was an adult. But let me ask you this. Where's the investigation of the current incumbent against whom numerous allegations have been made and which he dismisses, denies and ridicules? So there was an investigation and it as I 
believe came out in the right place. See, this is incredible ignorance that is being, it's being sold to you. Your ignorance is being sold to you by that. That is not what the Monica Lewinsky scandal was about. The Monica Lewinsky scandal was about Paula Jones, who was selected by Governor Bill Clinton's uh, you know, tr- state trooper who would protect him. And he would come and follow Paula Jones and bring her up to his hotel room, whereupon Bill would chase her around with his pants off, with his pants open, exposing himself to her. And she sued him for it because she didn't want to be used by Bill Clinton. She sued him for it. And he lied about it. If he hadn't lied about it, if he hadn't lied about what he did to Paula Jones, none of this would have happened. During the testimony, he was forced to testify about Monica Lewinsky and not only did he lie about it under oath, he suborned perjury by causing her to lie about it, to submit a statement about it that was untrue, and causing all his, uh, his the people around him lying to them, abusing his power by lying to them so that they went and lied for him. That was what the scandal was about. The scandal was about perjury. It was not about whether he could be, he was a, a slime ball for using his immense power to have an affair with a 20-something-year-old girl. But that's not what the scandal was. The scandal was the perjury. And they just are pushing that ignorance on you so you forget what it's all about. Our crappy culture. You know, there's a trial starting that we really want to pay a little bit of attention to. Harvard University is on trial. Oral arguments begin on Monday uh, for students for fair admissions versus Harvard University. Harvard is accused of systematically discriminating against Asian American applicants and college admissions. They don't want the Asian Americans study so hard, work so hard, do so well academically that Harvard doesn't want their, you know, the yellow peril to take over their schools. So they've been basically slanting their admissions process to keep them out. And that is what's happening. They're being sued for it. And the question is, that is going to end up being decided, I think, eventually, is whether or not we can have this racist system that the left has imposed on it. It is affirmative action. It is, it, you, you can't cure racism with racism. You cannot cure racism with racism. So by using affirmative action, which is racism, this is the first thing, by the way, the first thing was the Backey case that alerted me to the fact that my liberal left-wing leanings were wrong. This is the first, very first thing that when I saw the Backey case come in and affirmative action starting, I thought, nope, they are just adopting the racism that has been in place for so long. You cannot cure it. Why do they want to do this? I think one of the reasons is once you start getting rid of the racism excuse, oh, you can't say that, you can't criticize Obama because it's racist, you can't criticize a black man kneeling for the flag because it's racist, you can't criticize... Once they do that, they have to deal with behaviors because the fact is the behaviors of black people and white people who are in poverty are virtually the same. And those behaviors, if you fix those behaviors or at least educate people out of those behaviors, you start to educate people out of poverty and they don't become dependent on the government and they don't really vote for the left quite as much. And that's what they don't want to do. The racism has got to go and we on the right should stand against it at every single level. There is no excuse for it. It is un-American, it is un-Christian, it is un-Jewish, it is wrong. It is wrong to, to judge people according to the, that's, that's it, that's the whole question. Is it right or wrong to judge people according to the color of their skin? Wrong. Anytime they do it, anytime they do it, it's going to be harmful to the country in the long run and possibly in the short run. I hope Harvard gets nailed for this. I hope they get nailed. I'll see you again tomorrow. Listen to Another Kingdom. Anybody can listen to the first and second episodes. The third episode is now out for subscribers of dailywire.com. So subscribe while you're listening. You could do everything at once. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. Mm-hmm.
Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. Edited by Alex Zingaro. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. And our animations are by Cynthia Angulo and Jacob Jackson. The Andrew Clavin Show is a Daily Wire forward publishing production. Copyright forward publishing 2018.